Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Um, if you notice a couple things this morning, one, I got a small bottle of water. I'm hoping that'll help me. If I run out, I know it's time to quit. And then this morning, I did start my, I got my, I got my phone out so I can see time. Uh, that may be helpful for some of us. Amen. Um, I'll also be in prayer for um, the Vickery family today. I've got a funeral at 2 o'clock in Maryville. Um, so pray for uh, Sharon Vickery. Her mom, uh, Catherine, was a member at Broadway Baptist Church. And I used to lead a Bible study there on Wednesdays. And got to know her over the past 12 years. And she requested that I would do her funeral. So pray for me that I would be able to uh, bring comfort to the family and encourage them at Smith's and then the graveside following that. And then Lord, we'll be back together tonight as we dive into uh, 1 John chapter 2. We'll be in verses 15 to 17, uh, looking at not loving uh, what's going to pass away, not loving the world. So I invite you back tonight. But if you have your copy of God's Word, uh, do turn to Genesis 3 as we continue on through the book of Genesis. Um, we looked last week and spent a little, a little time there in the fall. The rebellion of man... Um, is why we're in the mess we're in. Uh, man created in God's image, morally innocent, sinned in the garden and plunged all of humanity under the condemnation, the righteous condemnation of God. But we are also sinners because we sin. That's what we do. We now are not bent or drifting. We're never going to drift toward being good or being holy. We need God to take the initiative to do a work in us. Uh, before I forget again, Miss Judy, it is good to see you back at with, worshiping with us this, this morning. Miss Judy has been through a bunch, and we're so glad to have you, Miss Judy Watson. Um, sorry, if, if you're visiting, I, I will squirrel once in a while, but uh, I saw you at the end when I went to sit down, so I better say, I need to say hey to Miss Judy. But I'm glad to have you back with us. Um, you know, you never know how much you miss uh, being worshiping uh, with God's people until you're out for a while, yeah. right? And uh, it's hard. And so if there's anyone else out that's been out a little while, I'm happy to mention you. No, we love you. We're glad to have you back with us this morning. Um, but as we look at the fall, and we look at what our problem is, which is not God. It wasn't the garden. Um, it wasn't anything in the world that God made. The problem, the problem really wasn't Satan. Our problem, your main problem this morning, is your sin. Yeah. Our sin is what separates us from the presence of the whole, of a holy God, right? Very little talked about today. The holiness of God. Amen. God can't be in the presence of sin. So what we'll see this morning, my introduction, is we see God's grace amidst, amidst his judgment. In the middle of curses and judgment passed down, what we'll see is we see God curse the serpent, which we know is Satan, and he curses the ground. But he places judgment upon the man and then the woman. We saw last week that Satan comes slithering into the garden or walking into the garden. There's some debate there. It really doesn't matter. We know he goes away on his belly being humiliated by God. right? But he attacked the order of God. God's order in which he created things, that's what the serpent attacks. He tempted man with autonomy. That he gets to determine what is good and what is evil. What is right, what is wrong. 
He tempted man with wanting to be like God. And that's what we struggle with now, right? We've talked a little bit about that, not just last week, but in other messages. We struggle with people telling us what to do. But in the midst of cursing and judgment, we see God's grace. We see the promise of the gospel right at the beginning of the book, right? God has placed man in this beautiful garden, this, this temple, this tabernacle, this, this incredible place to where he would dwell with man and walk with man, and man rebels against that. And so we're going to pick up in verse 8, as we read the scriptures already, you've got a heading in the back of your notes, in the back of your bulletin there. We see the Lord God's gracious confrontation. He confronts man. Man and woman have sinned. Their eyes, verse 7 says, they were both open and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What man and woman was doing there was trying to cover their sin, their shame, their guilt before God. For they knew God was in the garden with them. He walked with them. Now look at verse 8. It says they heard the sound of the Lord God. Now you see his name mentioned correctly now. Remember there was a name change there in verses 1 to 7. They used Elohim. They didn't use the covenant redeemer name. But now... Moses records for us, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What, what shame. They have traded perfect fellowship, perfect relationship. Now with shame and guilt and fear of the presence of the Lord. What is significant here, just in this first verse, or, or, or verse 8, is he comes walking as he has done who knows how many times. They, they knew. They knew it was God by the sound of him walking, by the leaves rustling or whatever was on the ground. They knew that that was God coming. And they hide themselves from his presence, or at least think they do. We see someone else try to run from the presence of the Lord. Remember as we went through... Uh, the book of Jonah. Jonah ran from the Lord. From his presence he fled. But you can't outrun the presence of God. You can't hide from him. He knows all. Right? He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere. And so he knows everything that's going on here. But God is deliberate. And by walking, we don't see God. And understand this about God. He is not reactive. We don't, we, don't, we don't worship a God who is caught off guard by the events of life. Caught off guard by rough circumstances. Caught off guard by Putin wanting to invade Ukraine. He's not caught off by COVID. He's not caught off by any of the stuff going on in the world. He never has been. God has always had a plan. Remember back, God creating the world, he had a magnificent plan to do one thing. And it was to glorify himself. To glorify himself. So God knew that the fall would take place. He knew man would rebel. And so what's significant about God walking is he walks, God walks in grace to man. And notice that he, he then confronts the order. He doesn't come to the woman who was deceived. He comes to the man. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. You cannot hide from God. God takes the initiative and he says, I think it's interesting too, they hide among the trees of the garden, that which they could once 
freely eat of. Now they're trying to use as cover. And they try to make themselves presentable. Listen, we can't make ourselves presentable to the Lord. But verse 9, the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Now, this isn't divine hide and seek, right? It ain't hiding. He knows exactly where they are. But what God is doing here with the language and the questions that he asks, these two questions, he is giving man the opportunity to do, to do what? To fess up. To repent. To say, God, I didn't obey your word. I, I listened to my wife. I allowed her to usurp my authority. I didn't do anything. I was passive in my duty and my role. God, I'm sorry. This is what God's doing. Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now look at this next question. He said, God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten, eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, and here we go. Here's the, here's the blame game, right? The blame game begins. The man says, the woman you gave to be with me. Now that sounds a whole lot different than verse 23 of chapter 2. This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The play on words there, remember, she shall be called Isha for she was taken out of Ish. This is, this is a part of me made from the rib for me. But oh, this, this, it's her fault. This is the one you brought to me. So he blames the woman, but it's not, that's not enough. He blames God himself. Think about the rebellion in the, the audacity of man. And that's how we are. The trials that we go through, we end up blaming God. God is not at the fault of any, any, anything in the world that is evil or harmful or sinful. The consequences that we face in life, whether it be death, uh, Catastrophe, physical catastrophes, wars are all the result of the rebellion that happened in the garden in verses 1 to 7. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman doesn't do any different. Though she was deceived, her husband didn't disciple her properly, she blames the serpent. She blames the serpent. What has happened is deception and willful rebellion. The serpent deceived me and I ate. And so now what we see is we will see the Lord give an opportunity. He has given opportunity, excuse me, for man and woman to repent. And they did. This morning, I wonder, have you repented of your sins? Have you confessed your sin? God, we're in a time of grace right now in which God is, is, is offering the gospel free. Jesus didn't come to condemn. The world is already condemned. Amen. I've come to set people free from their greatest enemy, sin. Yeah. Have you confessed your sins? Yeah. If you haven't, today is the day of repentance. Today is the day of freedom, of being born again and knowing God as your creator, Jesus as your, as your savior, and the Holy Spirit as the comforter and the guide in this life as we pursue holiness and being more like Jesus. So now the curses come down. We see within God's curse here, within the curses, within punishment, we see the promise. God is gracious to give the opportunity. He's given the opportunity this morning for us to repent and trust him. And now he is going to be 
so good in giving the promise of the one who will reverse the curse. Look at verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, here's the word, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Cursed is Satan. Satan is going to go in shame on his belly the rest of his days. In the culture then, they would see the dirt, and much like now, you know, you ever seen anybody? We've all played outside with no shoes on, right? And you come inside, and what does your mama say? Or your mama, you're going to do something with that. Get back outside to the hose, and let's wash some things off, and then let's get a shower and clean up, right? Can you imagine going on your belly all the days of your life? But for the, for the Jewish people, the ground and the dirt was the lowest of lowest. It was shame. And so God curses the serpent, but he also curses the ground. We'll see here in a moment when he is sharing with Adam the judgment he passes on him. But above all livestock, above all beasts of the field, when barely shall go, thus you shall eat all the days of your life. And now he's going to put a little caveat here, though in the length of his days. Look at verse 15. And here is the promise, the first mention of the gospel. I will put enmity. This word enmity is a big word that means hostility. There's going to be a struggle. There's going to be a battle. There's going to be a rebellion between you and the woman's seed, yes. the woman's offspring. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring the translation is seed. You may have a footnote there. And her offspring. And we know what kind of offspring it's going to be. It's going to be a male offspring. Singular. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Another translation is he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. What it, what, this is the first mention of the gospel. It's known in, uh, in theological terms as the proto-evangelium. The first mention of the glorious gospel that will reverse the curse that happened here in the garden. God is going to send his son. Mm -hmm. God is going to come to earth and die for God. God is going to send the, per the, the perfect person of the Lord Jesus Christ, being born of a virgin, yes. without sin, then never sinning, fulfilling all of the law and the prophets. Jesus fulfilled all of that, and he would be accused he would be lied about. He would be tortured. And he'd be crucified to a cross. He would die. And in his death on the cross, he would deal the death blow to the serpent. But in that time, in all of the temptation that we looked at a little bit last week, we'll look back tonight as well in Matthew 4, where Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And Satan himself comes and tempts Jesus. Mm -hmm. Right? He tempts him through the desires of the flesh, through the desires of the eyes, through the eye gate, and through the pride of life. And Jesus responds, unlike the first Adam, with obedience to the word of God. Amen. Quoting Deuteronomy three times, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. The eternal word trusted in the written word. Is that not amazing? Amen. We saw that last week. And we see that now. This is, where is the gospel presented? Right here in 15, right in the beginning of the story. What does this tell us about God? He had a plan. He had a plan to glorify himself. And man is not, it, 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 God hasn't just poured out total wrath and wiping man out. 
death comes, but there's promise. There's judgment, there's curse, but there's promise. That means there's hope. How many of us love hope? All of us. Man, hope helps you live, right? When a man doesn't have any hope, he is desperate and will do desperately wicked things. People who take their own life, they, they run out of hope. They don't understand the hope that's in Jesus. But we do, church. We know, listen, our hope is settled and seated at the right hand of God Almighty on high. And he intercedes for you and me right now. We are on the very good side of things. For we know Jesus as Lord. Do you know him this morning? So we must go on. There's going to be hostility between Satan and man. And between the God man. And he definitely did a bruising to Jesus. But that bruising was purposeful. We read about that in Isaiah 53. But... We're going to move on. Verse 16. To the woman he said. This is interesting. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Now what does this lead us to understand? It would be painful to have children. Before the fall. But now he's going to multiply. One of the consequences. Of her. Sin. Is the judgment of the pain of childbearing. For those of us. Who have been in that room. When our wives give birth it is mind-blowing yeah and the pain that goes that, that happens there it is just temporarily right joy comes when you see what your son or your daughter and it's you know you, know, you see see my wife in there grinning with tears in her eyes through deep possible pain right but the multiplication of child of pain in childbirth is because of the fall and in pain you shall bring forth children and here's the next one that is, there's the first one, pain, childbearing. And then secondly, your desire shall be for your husband. Well, that sounds good, don't it, ladies? Boy, is he talking about, man, I don't really like my husband. Like, he looks good, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, there's going to be good desires for him. No, if we read the rest of that verse, it puts it in context for us. And he shall rule over you. Yeah. See, God created things in order. You have biblical headship, something our culture does not like. You have women and men created equally yet distinctive roles. Amen. And the woman's role is a helpmate to the husband. That does not demean her in any way. This is the order in which God's created things. Man is to lead as Christ leads and lays his life down for the church. We talked about Ephesians 5. And woman is to submit as the church submits to our great shepherd, to, to Jesus. And it's a picture of the gospel, Paul will tell us in Ephesians 5. So what's going to happen is woman is going to have pain in childbirth and she is going to have a whole lot of struggle in marriage. Marriages are going to be hard because ladies, you're going to want to, you're going to want to make the decisions and, 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 and be honest. This isn't a, I'll take just a few minutes here and I'll, I'll move on. This is not, I'll be honest with you. My wife is a much sharper knife than I am. I am a dull, I wouldn't even, I'm a dull spoon. Okay, I'm not a butter knife. I would be a spoon. Anyway, it's not a matter of talent and ability. She's much more organized with me in most anything in life, especially even teaching and gathering her thoughts to be able to present things. And many women are like that. Nurturers by nature. Uh, very, uh, um, very good at organization, most women. 
pretty good at organizing things and following through. Not, not everybody, right? And some men are very gifted in those areas, but it's not a matter of that. But it's, it's a matter that you're going to struggle in your marriage because you're going to want to make the decisions. You're going to want to, you're going to want to rule because that's what happened in, in the garden in verse one to seven. She usurped the man's authority and look at what happened, right? And so man, what does that mean for us? That means we need to lead well. We need to understand what it means to be a godly man yes. first and then what it means to be a godly husband so that we lead properly. So there's going to be strife in marriage, ladies. Pain in childbirth. Many of you know about this already. If you're not, you're not married. Wait till you get married to have babies. That's God's order of things, right? Yeah. And then when you do, it's, it's going to hurt, but there is such a blessing, right? And then there's going to be, know that there's going to be tension. Be self-aware of what your role is and what his role is. And so to Adam, he says, so the desire is not a sexual desire. It's a desire to make decisions and to be the one who does that outside of uh, the leadership of your husband. Verse 17. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground because of you. So now the ground is cursed. In pain you shall eat of it all your days of your life. We talked about God made work. Work is good. And we even, if we're honest, there are days that we, you know, I think we talked about this, that you go to work and you find some fulfillment. That's a good day at work, right? I've heard, heard me, yeah, it's a pretty good day. I had a good day at work. Got stuff accomplished, you saw things. But many things, it's going to be painful. It's going to be dreadful. Why? Because work now is pushing back against us. And specifically the ground. See, the ground just didn't till itself. It just didn't plant things on its own. God put man to do that. And it would be, it would be hard. But it would be joyful. It would be fulfilling. We were made to work. We live in a culture now where people don't want to work. If someone calls and says, man, can you help me find a job? They either don't have a car, they don't, they haven't been out of their home, something. Hey, bro, they're hiring everywhere. You can flip burgers at any fast food restaurant. If you don't work, there's probably something else going on, right? We're made to work. We're made to work. But now the work is going to be painful. It's going to push back against us because the ground, verse 18, this is going to be for all of life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So now, now we got to pull weeds. Now we got to deal with thorns and thistles popping up out of that thing. I mean, you know, like we went bird hunting last week, and I've never been grouse hunting before. But the places that the grouse lives is amongst the sawbriars, right? And um, let one of them catch you on the ear, and that'll bless you. You'll see, you'll see how sanctified you are when a piece of your ear flesh gets ripped off bird hunting, or if you've been rabbit hunting, you walk the, you know. Some of the same, some ter territory there. You'll see about your thought life there. But thorns produce. And he says in verse 19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What is that? It's going to be hard, and then you're going to die. You're going right back to the dust, because that's where you came from. Man died spiritually in the garden, but now physically we die. And man, it hurts. It hurts. When we lose our loved ones, when we lose our spouse, when we lose a child, it is 
indescribable the pain that happens. You know why? Because that's not the way it was meant to be. We weren't meant to experience death, but we didn't trust God. So trust Him now and know that the last enemy to be destroyed will be death itself. And through the glorious gospel, those that die in Christ, are to, they will be in the presence of God Almighty Himself. And one day will receive a new body to worship Him and to work in His new garden forever. And we'll see here in the end in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, and then chapter 22, verses 2, verses 14 and verse 22, that we will, 19, excuse me, we will reign for Him and eat of the tree of life forever. Amen. We'll eat of its fruit yet again. Why? Because God, through the gospel, through Christ, has reversed the curse and He's taken us back to tabernacle with Him again. To be in His presence fully. When we trust Him, we're in His presence. His Spirit lives in us. But we don't see Him yet. But we will. We see Him in His Word. We see Him in the lives of His other image bearers that He's changed and He's changing. I hope you see Jesus in one another. Bethlehem Baptist Church, we need to be a people who look like Jesus. Amen. And that's a process of submitting ourselves to the Word of God. Surrendering to the Spirit of God to do that work in us. And listen, His Word builds the church. His Word will build us up and make us who He wants us to be. Adam and Eve didn't trust in that. Adam at the federal head didn't trust in that. And that's why we're in the process we're in, the problem we're in. But man, God is so good. I want you to see something here. We're coming to the end. We're not there yet. I'm not saying I'm finishing. We're, just, we're getting close. We get some more. Look at death comes. Something really cool here. Look at verse 20. You're going to see the Lord God's provision of grace. Aren't you thankful for grace? Amen. The man called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. Let's stop there. Something has happened to Adam. He's back to naming again. Naming again, right? Remember, God had honed his skills through the naming of animals. And he comes to a woman when she's brought to him. And what does he realize? Oh, this is good. That, yeah, this is out of my bones. This born of my bones. Oh, blown away in just ecstasy in his mind and his heart. Oh, yes, I help her for me. I love her. Now he calls his wife's name Eve. She is no longer Isha. Now she is Eve. In, in, the, in the wording here, the mother of living. Obviously, she, the translation could be a little better here. You may have, um, it sounds like the Hebrew word for life giver. You may have a footnote there in your Bible. Okay, she's not the, the mother of animals, right? She's not the mother of birds and those things. But Adam has believed something about what God has said. What has God said? Well, in his judgment of woman and in his curse to, first of all, to the serpent, what does he give? The promise. The promise that there's going to come one from her who's going to reverse the curse. Amen. Satan's going to bruise the head or bruise the heel, right? He's on the bottom. He's crumbling the dirt. Can't do anything else. He's going to bruise his heel, bruise his body. But Jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent. Adam believed that promise. And he believed that promise. And we know he believed it because it says the man called his wife, his wife's name Eve because she's the mother of all living. He knew that the promise is going to come through this woman. He's going to come through her. And through her living seed would come one who would rule and reign again. And it really never finished because God has always been on the throne. But the son would come. 
He would step out of heaven willfully and take on flesh in the likeness of sinful flesh, yet he never sinned. And look at verse 21. Look at God's grace. He's, he provides for them. Remember how they sewed fig leaves together? We try to do that with good works. We try to be a part of things that make us better men. There ain't nothing making you better but the good gospel of Jesus. Nothing. We trust in his grace. It's grace by which we're saved. It's grace by which we are renewed and changed in his likeness. And it's grace that will glorify us all. Not anything I do. Because my words are just futile. Those leaves weren't doing nothing before the presence of the Lord. But God says, I love you. I love you. And you, I'm going I'm I'm to make clothes for you. And these two words, these garments of skins and clothes are two words. You can't see it here, but you'll see it as we get on in the Bible. And if you've read it long enough, you see that these are words that was used for the priest. Remember, Adam was a king priest placed in the garden of God. And the Lord God made for Adam his wife's garments of, for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So for Adam and Eve, God more than likely kills an animal. Right? It doesn't say it in the text, but this is also leading us to sacrifice that will come. Sacrifice has been made. This is salvific right here in verse 20. That I will provide for you a way to be in my presence. But yes. he's about to kick him out of his presence. But God, listen, this is good. God kicks them out so that he can bring them back in. God sent them out that he might bring them back in. Because there's something that will happen. So the Lord is good in this. Adam trusted in the word of God in the curses that were laid down. He names his wife Eve. He provides clothing. Guess where they're going? They're going outside of the garden. And it is not a good place now because of sin. He's, they're going to engage the world. But God clothes them. God protects them. God will provide for them. And they would live. Adam would live 930 years. Right? It's a long time. <laughs> they're going to need some covering. Right? But they died. Look at verse 22. Yeah, move on. Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And they did. In a very real sense, they knew good from evil here. Right? But it didn't work out like they thought. Right? It brought forth death. And God says, Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to do what? To work. But now it's going to be different, right? Think back to the curse. It's going to be pushing back. There's going to be thorns and thistles. That means we're going to go home and we're going to be frustrated with our jobs, right? Used to, you'd have men that would stick with their jobs, regardless whether they liked it or not. They were there. And they showed up and they pressed through, right? Men had a little bit of backbone. Now, boss gets on to us, say something, man, I'm out, right? Get out of here. Oh, there needs to be some fortitude. Understand, there's going to be pushback, and there's going to be a lot of days he's not going to like it. And he pushed him out of the garden. He sent him out of the garden, and the language just intensifies here, to work the ground from which he was taken, and he drove out the man. Notice, he's not saying woman. He's saying man a whole lot. Why? Because you got biblical headship. Adam is representing the many. He drove out the man. He drove out the woman as well. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, right? 
and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. The cherubim, these angels with these flaming swords, right? I remember a little boy, and even a teenager, man, what in the world is a cherubim? I never had anybody, you know. There, there are different degrees in, uh, of, of angels and their responsibilities. If you want to do a study of that, it'll just blow your mind, right? Got Michael the archangel, right? Satan himself was an angel. Remember, he's not man. He's not God. He can't be everywhere, by the way. Okay. But at the east of the garden, the cherubim and a flaming sword. Judgment is here. And they were there to guard the way to what? To the, to the way to the tree of life. The man who was made to care for the garden is now guarded from that which he was made for. What a sad turn of events that has taken place. Banished from the garden. And remember that question I asked you, what was the greatest thing about the garden? The presence of God. How then will man get back to the garden? That's the big question. How do we get back into this relationship? Here's where we need to start with our evangelism. I listened to a video that a uh, sister sent me this week, and uh, it just reminded me again. I've listened to it several years ago. There are different ways people are sharing the gospel, and, and many want to just start uh, with the resurrection, that our faith is built on an event. That is not true. We do believe in the resurrection. Our faith is built upon the Word of God. And in the Word of God, He tells us who He is. He tells us about who we are and how we have rebelled. And we're, we are hell-deserving sinners. Yes. We're deserving of His righteous wrath. He should have wiped them out. He should have let them eat of the tree. But He had a plan, you see. That wasn't His plan. His plan was to glorify Himself through the redeeming of hell-bound sinners, through the per perfect person. Jesus being fully God and fully man. And through his work, his cross work of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. If this is boring to you this morning, you may not know who God is. Yes. This is what we share in our evangelism. The resurrection is important. Our, our faith is not built on an event. It's built on a person. And that person is the word who was made flesh. Amen. The, the eternal word who trusted in the written word is pointless to go trust what God says. Fear him and obey his commands. But now man can't. He must trust in another. He must go back and trust in the word. Right? John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was God. Right? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And he dwelt among us. And we beheld, we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten full of grace and truth. Trusting in the word. But people will say we need to trust in other things. No, no. No, don't get that wrong. Amen. When you share the good news with someone, take them back to what the problem is. If you're not convinced you've got cancer, you're not going to want to take a cure. If, if, take COVID, for example. And I know there's so many different opinions with it. It is real, right? It is real. Okay. What all, I don't even pretend to know what's going on. But if they come out and said, hey, man, we got the COVID vaccination, and you didn't know any of the symptoms for it, we want to give it to you now. Would you take that? Would you take medicine for something you're not convinced you have to cure? If you say yes, I think you're crazy, personally, right? I'm not going to take anything. I'm not going to take med or side effects to things that we don't know of, right? 
I, I want to take some time to know a little bit about, okay, what's going on? So how, how are we supposed to respond? How are lost people supposed to respond to the gospel if we don't tell them that their main problem is they're a rebel at the heart against God? And they need someone to take their sin away from them. And there has been one who's done that. We must start with where the issue is. There's a creator. We're accountable to him. We rebel against him. But in his great love, he sent his son to redeem us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. This is what Paul says to the church at Galatia. One of the greatest verses in the Bible. So, as we end, as we close, verse 24, I want to show you a few things. I've mentioned it several times. He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed the cherubim in the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. The cherubim. Turn with me to Exodus 26. Remember, remember that the Lord made the garden to dwell with man, to walk in his presence. So how does man get back in the presence of God? Well, he has to do things God's way. He has to believe the Lord. Believing the gospel is salvation, right? Not anything we do. When you believe, it tells us, commands us to repent. Turn from that sin and turn to the cross. Trust in the good shepherd. Trust in the resurrection and the life. Verse 26, you see, they have a heading there, Exodus 26, of the tabernacle. Moreover, Moses says, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twin linen, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and you shall make them with cherubim, skillful, skillfully worked in them. If you don't know what the tabernacle is, it was a common tent, a lot like what was in the nations around them. It wasn't nothing special. But what made it special was this is where God was. This is where God met with the people. Amen. And there within the tabernacle, what will end up being placed is the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? And over the Ark of the Covenant, you'll also have the cherubim, these winged angels. So on the curtain, the curtain led into what is known as the Holy of Holies. And there in the dead center, you would have the cherubim's wings there that guarded the way into the Holy of Holies. What do we have in the garden? When he kicks them out, he has the cherubim with the flaming sword. There ain't no way back. It ain't coming through them. These are mighty warriors. These are God's warriors. Angels ain't pretty little, cute little, you know, we just come off Valentine's Day, little fat babies running around with, you know, uh, what's that? Bow and arrow. Like shooting loves in the air, right? That's not how it looks, man. Angels show up, and what do they say? Fear, fear not, right? Fear not. You know why? The people are scared of them. They're warriors. So the cherubim is there. In the tabernacle, we had time we walked through the temple. In the temple, in Solomon's temple, listen, there are etched cherubim there, and even in the Holy of Holies. Now, Jesus comes. He lives a perfect life. Born of a virgin. Read this in the Gospels. Turn with me now to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. They want to kill Jesus right from the beginning. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us, Matthew paints for us. The whole, one of the themes working through the beginning of Matthew and even in the end in Matthew 28, where he says, therefore go, the Great Commission. Our, our purpose as believers is to make disciples who make disciples. And he says, lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. But in chapter 27, Jesus is delivered over to Pilate. Judas hangs himself. Jesus is presented before Pilate again. He stands before the governor. The crowd chooses Barabbas. 
Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified. He's mocked. He's crucified. And then at the sixth hour, verse 45 of chapter 27 of the Gospel of Matthew. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatane. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. And we know he doesn't, right? <laughs> he doesn't. He didn't take anything to dull the pain. He took the full weight of sin. Amen. The other gospels tell us that. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Another way of saying he died. He willfully laid down his life and he willfully gave up the spirit of life. For what? For you and me. And now, understanding the garden, understanding the purpose of God and glorifying himself through the destruction and the killing of his son. For your sin and for my sin. He who deserved not to die, died for the unrighteous. Amen. Look at verse 51. And behold, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. From the bottom up? No, sir. From the top down, signifying that God himself, through the perfect person of Jesus. I'm opening it back up, boys. Amen. You believe in me. I am the resurrection and the life, as he told Mary and Martha. You believe in me, and you're going to be back in my presence again. It's ripped open. And God is saying, come. All who would come to me must believe that I am who I say I am. I am the great I am. And they must repent of their sins and trust me for salvation. Not in any good works that they do. And the earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. This was an incredible event. That is also recorded in other books outside of the scriptures. Jesus Christ was alive and he died. And when he died, it changed the game. The centerpiece of civilization has opened up the way to the presence of God again. I wonder this morning, have you believed in him? Have you trusted in him? He is the only way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through a relationship with Christ. Amen. And it doesn't start. It doesn't begin. It begins with us yielding ourselves to him in humility. This is provision of grace. Look with me, Revelation. This is where we're headed, man. I'll mention Revelation 2 because I mentioned it earlier. As the Apostle John records his vision, he says to the church at Ephesus in verse 7, He who has ears, has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. And how do we conquer? Well, it's through trust in Christ. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We're going to see that tree again. We're going to eat of its fruit. And we're going to live forever. Revelation 22, verse 1, I'll begin with. Then the angel showed me the river. I'll let you get there. Revelation 22. Angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God 
and of the land, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding each fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Slide on down to verse 14. I'll read 12, that's good. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those, verse 14, who, who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the what? The tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. And then verse 18, I'll read that. To the end, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. That's not good. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life, in the holy city, which are described in this book. Listen, don't get mad at Muslims. Don't get angry with Hindus. Don't get mad at Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons. The recompense of God is coming. And they're going to face his wrath. And but by the grace of God, we have seen the glorious light of the gospel. Share the good news that there's a way to the tree of life. Amen. There's a way to be in the presence of God and it's trusting in his son. Don't believe the lie that you've been fed. I don't care how you were raised. Look at the book. This is what the book says. This is what God has said. Anyone who takes away from the words of this book and the prophecy of God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. There was two trees in the beginning. Right? Man rebelled and took of the one he shouldn't have. But God had a marvelous plan to bring us back to eat yes. forever in his presence in glad relationship, fellowship, not only with him, but with one another. Are you a part of that? Are you a part of that? Is God moving in your heart right now and convicting you that you are a rebel, a sin, deserving his wrath and his condemnation? And is he convincing you that Jesus is the one who's paid that, he's paid your penalty? He became the curse for you. That's the only way you're going to get back into his presence. If not, you're going to get swallowed up with his wrath. And you will live forever as though some teach now. They would hold the position of annihilationists. That when you die, you just go be worm dirt. Or, is that right? Yeah, worms eat you or whatever. God just wipes you away at the very end as well. You just burn up. That's not what the Bible teaches. Amen. God really loved to listen to John Stott. He, he believed that. He believed John Stott would be in heaven. But he was wrong about that. Because the, it's not what the Bible says. Right? So we don't believe John Stott. We believe the Bible. We compare everything a man says to what the written word says. Amen. Listen. Don't just trust your heart. It's deceitfully wicked. You trust what the word says. It won't lead you wrong. Trust in Christ today. Believe in him. And know for yourself. And experience the presence of God yet again. Now and forever. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. Be with us now, Lord, as we reflect upon your word. May your spirit do your work in our hearts for your glory. As we sing to you as well, Lord, may we praise you for the glorious truths of who Jesus is and what he accomplished. 
I thank you haven't left us to ourselves, but you came for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'd like you to stand as we close. <laughs>